Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Welcome, everybody. It's just a few more days until Christmas and all the excitement. And what we're talking about is Advent. Now, I grew up in a church where we didn't talk about Advent. It was never brought up. And then all of a sudden, in my early 20s, I found myself on the staff of a church that talked about Advent. I'm like, what is this Advent thing? So let me break it down in a simple way that was easy for me to understand. The word Advent basically means arrival. Advent equals arrival. We're looking forward to the arrival of Christ in our life. And that didn't happen just way back when. But the idea of Advent is, how can Christ arrive in our lives today? How can we experience the reason for the season? How can we have that thrill of hope, the wonder, the awe? How can we encounter the Christ of Christmas? That is what Advent's about. This is what we want to talk about. Today is, all I want is peace. What? is peace. In Luke chapter 2, at the beginning of it, it talks about Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. And this is what it says about Caesar. Not what the Bible says, but what is written about Caesar Augustus. It is said that Caesar Augustus was the divine savior who brings peace. What is this peace that Caesar Augustus is bringing? And is it any different than the peace that Jesus Christ is bringing? Well, let's catch up with Mary and Joseph, because they are on their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And even though it's not hundreds of miles, it is a considerable distance. She's pregnant, traveling pregnant. She's either walking all those miles or maybe she's sitting on the back of a donkey. There's quite a few people traveling that way because a lot of people were headed to Bethlehem. We're told later there was no room for them in Bethlehem. So a lot of traffic, traveling pregnant. And why? Why are they making this journey when she's about ready to give birth? Because they were going to pay taxes to Caesar. What is the peace of Caesar? It is a very narrow peace. It's when you pay him taxes. Now that's peace, when you pay me money. But it's not, and clearly contrasted here, it is not the peace for all people. It's the peace for one people, one person, and that's Caesar Augustus. And here Luke is contrasting the peace of Caesar with the peace of Jesus Christ, paying taxes to Caesar, Jesus Christ serving all of us in love. So that's how the whole story of Jesus and his birth begins. 
right here. Now let's talk about peace. What exactly is peace? Because we're told that this angelic host is above the shepherds in Luke 2.14, and they talk about peace, and this is what they say. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Now, they would have recognized this, these Jewish shepherds. They would have caught on to this whole idea about peace because in Isaiah chapter 9, Again, this story is so rich when you understand what happened hundreds of years ago. And Isaiah had prophesied, this major prophet in the Bible had said there's a prince of peace coming. Matter of fact, Isaiah says a number of things for them to kind of get all juiced up and amped up and looking forward to. Maybe like we're looking forward to getting that great gift or well, hoping for 2023 to be an awesome year. So they're kind of in an expectation mode. And this is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 9. says, For unto us a child is born, and his name will be called, check this out, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What is this peace the Bible is talking about? Because I'm just not seeing it. Okay, I want to say something that is really important here. You have to understand biblical peace before you can experience biblical peace. Let me try to explain this with a picture. A couple of researchers went outside of the Zurich Zoo and they showed people the picture that you see on the screen right now. Now, most everybody saw a duck looking to the right. Do you see that? It's a duck looking to the right, except for one time of year. And during this one time of year, they saw a rabbit looking to the left. You know what time of year that was? Easter time. So just before Easter, the majority of people all of a sudden went from seeing a duck to seeing a rabbit. But over 90% of kids saw a rabbit looking to the left. Kids who were anticipating the Easter bunny. See, everybody, we see what we expect to see. And when it comes to the idea of peace... If we are thinking, oh, peace should be like this. Peace should be, there is no problems. Like there's no traffic on the road for Mary and Joseph. She doesn't have to travel when she's nine months pregnant. And there is a room. There's not a stall. There's a room. There's a sanitary room for her to give birth in a nice clean room. And she's not laying baby Jesus in a feeding trough, right? So all of these, if we think that peace is that, that there are no struggles and there's no problems. If that is our idea of peace, we might be robbing ourselves of actually experiencing the peace that Christ is offering us. We might be robbing ourselves of that thrill of hope and the reason for the season and all of those things we talk about encountering the Christ of Christmas. So we've got to come to an understanding of what is this peace. So peace in the Bible is a Hebrew word called shalom. And now this is really, really important. In the Jewish calendar, the saddest day in the Jewish calendar is the ninth of Av. And on the ninth of Av, they remember three really important biblical things. First of all, they remember that on the ninth of Av, Solomon's grand temple, the very first temple built in the Bible, that that was the day it was destroyed, destroyed by the Babylonians. They remember that on the ninth of Av, the second temple in the Bible, the temple Ezra built, 
It wasn't that great of a temple. Herod, who was a complete nut, Herod during the times of Jesus, came along, great architect, little nutty, great architect, built this grand, glorious temple. Matter of fact, a couple of dozen of us from Grace Community Church were just there and saw some of the stones from that 2,000-year-old grand and glorious temple that Herod built still there in Jerusalem. It was incredible to see everybody. And on the 9th of Av, that was destroyed by the Romans. One other thing. What else is remembered as a very, very sad day on the Jewish calendar? The saddest day of them all. Numbers 13, when the spies were sent by Moses to go into the land of Israel. Now, here's where it gets really interesting as far as peace goes, especially. There are a number of things that are said unique in the Hebrew language that are found in Numbers 13 that are found in only one other biblical passage. Let me give you, there's a bunch of them. Let me give you just four here that are really important. Four Hebrew phrases. First of all, bad report. It's found in Numbers 13, and it's found in one other passage in the Bible. Bring back word. Send for yourself. Spies. These four unique phrases, and some other things as well, but let's stick with these for right now, are found in Numbers 13, and in one other passage that just so happens to deal with Shalom. And that's Genesis 37. Okay, everybody, so here we go. This is where it gets really interesting. Numbers 13, Genesis 37. Genesis 37 has a lot to do with peace. Hebrew word, Shalom. We're told that Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, who later became Israel, brought back a bad report about his brothers. What does that mean that he brought back a bad report about his brothers? Then we're told in Genesis 37, 4, that his brothers says this, they hated him and could not speak peacefully, shalom, to him. Now, later on, Israel, Jacob, Joseph's father, sends him back out to find his brothers. And this is what he says, Probably because, and if you read this with the idea of what Shalom carries with it, of trying to bring healing to them because they could only see bad about Joseph and Joseph could only see bad about them. And so the father does this. He says in Genesis 37, 14, go and see if all is well, Shalom. Go and see all the Shalom. Go and see all the Shalom with your brothers and with the flocks and bring back word to me. Shalom means peace. Shalom at the root of it means wholeness. Shalom means the whole picture. So here's the problem here. Here's why we are lacking peace. Here is the amazing thing that the Bible brings to us about how we can actually experience the peace that we're thinking about, that the end of struggles, well, you have to back up deeper into the word to find it because we're looking for, okay, well, the Prince of Peace is here. So I ought to just have no struggles in my life. Okay, no, there's something deeper than that. And the deeper is, is the whole picture. So Jacob says, Joseph, you need to go and find the whole picture about your brother. All you've seen is their bad side. And if you want to have shalom, peace, you're going to have to see the whole picture. You're going to see good and bad. And you need to bring back the whole picture because that's what's going to repair this family. So, so it seems as if 
Jacob, the father, is trying to repair the family because the brothers can only see the bad in Joseph and Joseph can only see the bad in the brothers. And he says, I need you to bring the whole shalom to me. I need you to bring the full picture to me, all of it. A bad report is less than the whole picture. And Joseph is only seeing a portion of the picture. So we're told this in Genesis 37, 18. The brothers are out in the field, way out in the field somewhere, right? And now here comes Joseph. This is what it says. But they, the brothers, saw him a long way off. Before he reached them, they made plans to kill him. What did they recognize when he was a long way off? A very limited picture. They probably saw that special coat that his dad gave him. But Joseph is more than the coat. This is what his father's trying to say. And that's what our heavenly father is trying to say. You are more than your coat. You are more than a limited picture. But because they only saw a limited picture, they made plans to kill him, their brother. And that is a tragedy. How do you eventually get to peace? Is you got to have biblical peace. And biblical shalom is when you see the whole picture about a situation. And this is what Jacob is trying to do. Now, let's talk about our brains for a moment. You see the image of the brain on the screen. Here is what happens when our brains are experiencing any kind of conflict. Could be low-level conflict, could be intense conflict, whatever. But you are experiencing conflict. Now, this is straight from Harvard, right? This I got this from the top. I got this right from the top. Got it from Harvard. Here's what happens to your brain and my brain when we're under conflict. First of all, a boatload of chemicals are released into our bodies. And it is what is called amygdala hijack. Your amygdala is being hijacked. And when your amygdala is being hijacked because you are under any type of stress or any type of conflict, some very interesting things happen in your brain and in mine. And we need to know this if we want to really experience the Prince of Peace coming in our life. So here's what happens. Complex decision making disappears. Number two, multiple perspectives disappear. You can't see multiple perspectives. You're trapped in one perspective that makes you feel the most safe. Just think about that for a second. Here is what is happening in your brain and mine when we're experiencing any kind of conflict. The deeper the conflict, the stronger that it's going to be. You're trapped in one perspective and you're trapped in the perspective that makes you feel the most safe. I'm right. You're wrong. Even though you can ordinarily see other perspectives, when you're at the height of the stress, your brain just flips amygdala hijack and says, I'm right, you're wrong. This is what happens. Now check this out, everybody. Our memories fail us. And this person that maybe normally we have seen in the past, all kinds of good stuff that has led us to this relationship with them. They could be a spouse. They could be a friend. They could be a coworker or a neighbor. And you normally get along well with them and you see their good sides. All of a sudden, in the midst of this, in this amygdala hijack, your memory fails you and you can't remember any of their good points. You aren't seeing shalom. You're seeing a narrow sliver of the picture. And this is very, very problematic. Joseph could only see one perspective about his brothers and his brothers could only see one perspective about him. They could only see a narrow part of the picture. And because of that, disaster happens. So why do we have the saddest day in the Jewish calendar about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the temple and the spies going to the land and all of it backs all the way up into this story of Joseph and his brothers and the tragedy that takes place? Because we weren't seeing the whole picture. Everybody wouldn't, wouldn't things get so much better? Our idea of peace 
maybe would be realized if we brought in, if we accepted in what God shares with us about the biblical idea of peace, about biblical shalom, about seeing the whole picture, not just a partial picture. Wouldn't wouldn't that all come into play? Now, Jesus is the prince of the whole picture. That's why he's presented as the prince of peace. He is the prince of the whole picture. Isaiah 9 says, this, this son that's going to be born to us, this, this Messiah that the whole world's waiting for is the Prince of Peace. It also says something else. It says that his name is Counselor. Now, I want you to think about what if you went to a family counselor and this family counselor could only see one side of the story, right? You have two people and they're presenting all their sides and maybe there's all kinds of conflict in the family. Maybe there's like five different sides, and, but they could only see one side. Would you keep going? They'd be a terrible counselor. Because the reason you're a counselor is because you can see multiple perspectives. You should seek another profession if you can only see one perspective. Jesus is that counselor who can see all sides. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the, he's the Prince of the whole picture. We can't allow this amygdala hijack to rob us of the peace that we're looking for. We've got to back ourselves all the way into this incredible insight that God gives us in his word about how we can find true peace. Okay, everybody, what do we do with all of this information? Well, first of all, once you understand biblical peace, you are in a far better position to experience biblical peace. What exactly is biblical peace? There's more to the picture. So when you encounter that family member, you know who that family member is. I want you to see the whole shalom. I want you to see the full picture of that family member or that coworker or that friend or that used to be a friend or that neighbor. I want you to see the whole picture. I want you to allow biblical peace, whole picture to fill your mind. When your brain starts getting amygdala hijacked, that you'll back up from it. And rather than allowing your brain to pull you into that narrow focus, that you would see the whole picture. I saw of uh, this series that Netflix did on the Unabomber. I saw this many, many years ago. I remember all he did so many terrible things and brought so much pain and suffering and just anything but our understanding of peace. He brought that into the world. But then they devoted an entire episode on kind of his background and what he experienced. He was, the guy was brilliant. He was a genius. He went to Harvard, I think, at the age of 16. And there, some psychologist did some experiments on him and hurt him badly. Like, he was badly wounded. I, 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 just as I watched it, I felt inside of myself, oh no, no, I hate this guy. Don't make me do anything to have some other opinion of this guy. Don't make my heart open up to this guy because you're showing me another picture about why he turned out. Maybe why he, not that he wasn't responsible, but maybe another side. I don't want to see that side of him. And then I remember biblically speaking, everybody, the Israelites who were so oppressed and brutally treated by the Egyptians had to remember that long before the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, the Bible tells us that an Israelite, Joseph, enslaved the Egyptians. 
there's more to the picture. And here's the thing about God. God sees the whole picture, not just some of the picture. I recall a guy in the Bible who was really rich, very rich, very successful, but he trampled on his character and he trampled on people to get to his richness. He trampled on people and he trampled on his character to gain all of his money. And I remember Jesus comes into town and he sees this thief. He sees this person who has wounded other people and has taken so much, but he saw so much more than that. And he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today for a meal. Or I think about this woman who had made so many bad decisions, horrible decisions in her life. And she shows up at a dinner being given for Jesus at the home of a Pharisee. And she is so moved by Jesus that she is washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. And the people in the house said, Jesus, if you knew how bad this woman is, if you knew the shameful things. And the thing about Jesus, he saw all those shameful things, but that's not all he saw. He saw so much more and it moved her deeply to the point where she wept. Or I'm thinking about a young man who was so disrespectful to his parents. So disrespectful. He made so many bad, selfish, ugly choices with his life. He lost everything. He lost all of the wealth. He lost all of the honor. Think about this prodigal son that Jesus sees that part, but that's not the only part he sees. And then finally, the longest conversation that we have in the entirety of scripture about a woman who felt unworthy and unloved and all the things that she did with her life, that Jesus didn't see just that. He saw so much more and he devotes an entire afternoon and gives us the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anybody else in all of scripture. See, Jesus doesn't see just that. He sees all of that. He sees so much more. He sees all the mess. How about you? How about me? For me and for many people, when we're in the midst of mess, I can't feel peaceful. I just, life is a mess. I'm a mess. The world is a mess. And one of the ways I try to find the peace in the midst of the mess is act as if the mess doesn't exist. We have an old saying, we talk about sweeping it under the rug as if everything's going to be okay. What I think about is a home that I used to live in that the basement used to always flood and we had a lot of junk down in the basement and then we get a flood and one of the ways I'd like to deal with it is just to shut the door and act as if it doesn't exist. But we can't do that because we're going to have a big problem on our hands. We have to embrace the mess in God all at the same time. We want to, our brains want to, our brains fight to compartmentalize, but we can't allow that to happen. We've got to take that wall down and pursue the wholeness that biblical peace is after. Like the prodigal son, he is covered in slop. He's in the pig pen, right? The lowest of the lowest shameful place for a young Jewish boy to be. And what does he do? Oh, my life is better back when I was with the father. And so he starts heading back there and his Father, God, doesn't put his arms like that when he comes back dripping in all the mud and the slop from the pigs. He doesn't shake his finger at him. He embraces the mess. There's no compartmentalization. We can't compartmentalize things. We have to allow God to embrace us in all of the mess. And until we do that, and until we receive that picture of God embracing us in all the mess, we can't achieve experience 
the wholeness that shalom offers us. Our hearts can't be transformed, but when they are, when we see Christ sprinting to us, covered in all of that shame and wrapping his loving arms around us saying, I don't love you any less, then our hearts can be warmed, transformed, changed, and the wholeness, the peace of a loving God can enter our hearts. And then now we stand a much better chance of seeing the world in shalom, of spreading shalom to the rest of the world because wholeness has been achieved, not compartmentalization. Look, your pursuit of peace and my pursuit of peace is not going to be peaceful. We're going to have to swim upstream. Our brains are going to want to take us to that place of compartmentalization because our brains freak out. Our amygdalas are hijacked. We've got to fight against our brains. It is not going to be peaceful in the way we view peace, but we will achieve biblical peace because of the wholeness that will happen. So swim upstream and find the wholeness that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, has for you. Can you meditate on the biblical understanding of shalom? Can you receive that yourself? The love of God for all of you, not some of you, all of you, not some of you, not some of your picture, all of your picture. And then once you are, your heart is softened and transformed by such a powerful shalom, by the full picture of love. Can you then begin to ask God to help you see the shalom in all the world so that all of us can experience peace that Christ offers us at Christmas to encounter the Christ of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your powerful word. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the Prince of Peace. You're the Prince of the whole picture. Help every single one of us right now, participating in this service, to open our hearts, to find our hearts softened, and to receive in your love. In Christ's name, amen.